0: If you have been a Christian for any length of time, or even if you aren't a Christian, you probably view the death of Jesus on the cross as a good thing. What I mean is, we have heard so many times that Jesus died for us, Jesus died for our benefit, that we view his death as something that he willingly experienced. Of course, it is true that he willingly allowed himself to die because he himself said in John ten eighteen, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. So it is true that Jesus gave his life for us. But that reality doesn't do away with the fact that Jesus was murdered. That reality doesn't do away with the fact that Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus was murdered. You probably don't think about the death of Jesus in that way very often, if at all. However, the fact is that Jesus was murdered. When we think of murder, we think of someone shooting another person or stabbing another person or choking another person or something along those lines. But murder can take other forms than that. David, King David, murdered Uriah the Hittite when David ordered Joab to put Uriah in the forefront of the battle in the hottest part of the battle and then pull back all the other soldiers. David didn't shoot the arrow or thrust the sword, but he killed Uriah. He murdered him. In a similar way, Jesus was murdered. It's not that someone came up behind him and stabbed him. No one hid behind a tree and thrust Jesus through with a sword, but Jesus was unjustly murdered. The Romans carried out the killing by crucifying Jesus, but the religious leaders of Israel were behind the whole thing And they were the ones who pushed it through to make sure that Jesus was killed. They murdered Jesus just as if they had stabbed him through the chest with a sword. The apostle Peter stated this very thing when he and the other apostles were brought before the religious leaders for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts 5.28, the high priest asked the question, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. In other words, he implied that Peter and the other apostles were wrongly assigning or attributing the death of Jesus to them as their fault. But Peter didn't back down from that assertion because he answered them in Acts 5.30 by saying this, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Peter said that to the religious leaders of Israel. They weren't the ones that scourged Jesus and nailed him to the cross. They weren't the ones that thrust a spear through his side and into his chest cavity. Yet Peter said they were the ones who murdered him. They devised the scheme, they carried out the plot, they forced Pilate's hand, and they were behind it all. Therefore, they were the murderers. They looked for a variety of ways to silence Jesus or get rid of him throughout his ministry, but they could never come up with a plan that would work. He was a constant thorn in their side and a constant irritation to them. They looked for the right opportunity to do away with him, but that opportunity never really presented itself. However, they were persistent, and the time eventually came when they could pull it off. It was in the spring of the year, right near the time of passover which was one of the largest jewish holidays on the calendar they were bound and determined to get jesus one way or another please turn with me in your bible to mark chapter 14 as we resume our trek through mark's gospel and we move this morning into the 14th chapter Please follow along as I read the opening couple of verses. We will focus exclusively on them this morning. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery, by deception, and put him to death. But they said... Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. This is the beginning of the end from a human standpoint. The leaders of Israel have been wanting to get rid of Jesus. They have been wanting to get him in some way, trying to get him, but they haven't been able to do it. Now it's going to happen. It's not going to happen exactly according to their plans, but it is going to happen. By the way, this wasn't the first time that Jesus was the target of an attempt on his life. It happened repeatedly throughout his ministry. Let me show you a few examples. Turn over to the next gospel account, the gospel of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we'll look at an event that took place right at the beginning of our Lord's ministry. Mark 14 is right at the end, but here we are at the beginning. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke tells us So Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, (coughs) he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. This event took place in Nazareth, where Jesus had been raised. Mary was from Nazareth. Joseph was from Nazareth. That's where the family settled after the birth of Jesus and after the brief sojourn in the land of Egypt. This was the hometown of Jesus. This is where he grew up. So he comes into the synagogue, and verse 17 tells us, He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written... Now, the next two verses are from Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. So these are clearly messianic verses. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. You see, they're wondering what he is going to say about these crucial verses from Isaiah's prophecy regarding the Messiah. What is he going to say? Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? These people knew Joseph because the family lived in the village. So the people are wondering how Jesus could be making this wild claim about being the Messiah. They don't believe it. And they want Jesus to prove it. Verse 23, he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. This is basically a challenge from the people of Nazareth for Jesus to do some miracles like he had done in Capernaum But Jesus isn't about to capitulate to their demands. Besides, he knew that even if he did do some miracles, that would not convince these people of his messiahship. They were already convinced that that he wasn't anything special. They had seen him grow up. They knew him as a child. He was too common to them for them to accept the fact that he was the messiah. Verse 24 tells us, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. You see, these people wouldn't believe regardless of what he did. So he, ter- he determined that he would do nothing for the people in this village. And he supports his decision by pointing to a couple of examples in the Old Testament or Hebrew Scripture. Verse 25, but I tell you truly... Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So that woman was a Gentile. Elijah bypassed all the Jewish widows in Israel yet he ministered to this one Gentile widow. Verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was also a Gentile. Elisha bypassed all the lepers in Israel, but he ministered to this one Gentile leper. What was the point that Jesus was making? He was was making the point that because of their unbelief, God's gracious deeds of mercy would be withheld from them, yet extended to the Gentiles. And they got the point. Verse 28, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They were filled with rage. Rage filled with murderous anger. So much so that verse 29 tells us, they rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the city or the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. This is the first recorded attempt on the life of Jesus. The people of Nazareth attempted to kill him But he didn't let it happen at this point because it wasn't his time to die. Verse 30 tells us then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Luke seems to be implying that this was a miraculous escape. And it wasn't the last time that his life was in jeopardy. Turn over to the next gospel, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. John chapter 5, in the early verses of this chapter, Jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. This healing took place on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, which infuriated the Jewish leaders. So in John chapter 5, verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus, And sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. This was another occasion when people wanted to kill Jesus, and maybe they even looked for a way to kill him. But it didn't happen because it wasn't his time to die. Look at chapter 7, two chapters later. Chapter 7, verse 28. John 7, 28, Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him. For I am from him and he sent me. Therefore, they sought to take him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Again, these people wanted to kill Jesus. And maybe they even looked for a way to kill him on this occasion, but it didn't happen because it wasn't his time to die. Skip over to the next chapter, chapter 8. Throughout this chapter, Jesus is in a heated debate with the Jewish leaders concerning his identity. He repeatedly claimed to be the Messiah and God in human flesh. This infuriated the Jewish leaders, so they wanted to kill him. Chapter 8, verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. They wanted to lay hands on him. They wanted to apprehend him and arrest him and kill him. But it wasn't going to happen yet because it wasn't God's timing yet. Jesus mentions his awareness of their desire to kill him down in verse 37. Verse 37, he says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And the way the text reads, I think they interrupted him at this point. He was going to elaborate, but they interrupted. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. As soon as he made this comment about, well, you do what you're, the deeds of your father, I do the deeds of my father. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. Jesus knew that that they wanted to kill him. He He knew what they wanted to do to him and what they were trying to do to him. In fact, before this chapter is even over, they try it. They try to carry it out. Look at verse 58. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am... Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Again, the the way it reads, John seems to be implying this was a miraculous escape. He claims deity in verse 58, and they pick up stones to throw at him. And those of you who have been to Israel, to Jerusalem, know it's not hard to find stones lying around. Stones are everywhere, not just little pebbles, rocks to crush a man's skull. they, They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus. They tried to kill him, but it didn't happen because it wasn't his time to die. And look at chapter 10. Chapter 10 of John's Gospel, verse 37. John 10, 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is me is in me and I in Him. Therefore they sought again to seize Him. but he escaped out of their hand. and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. You see, this, this was a repeated event throughout the ministry of Jesus. People tried to kill him or get him killed. However, because it wasn't his time to die yet, no one could take him and kill him. But look at chapter 13 of John's Gospel. Just a couple pages over to the right. Chapter 13, verse 1. John says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So now it was time. John says here in verse 1, his hour had come. It was approaching the Passover holiday, and that was the time God had ordained for Jesus to die. Thousands and thousands of lambs were sacrificed during the Passover holiday, and God chose that time to offer his lamb. Now it was time. John and Mark tell us that it was right before the Passover. With that in mind, let's go back to our text in Mark chapter 14. As you have seen, many groups and many people had tried to kill Jesus prior to this time, but it didn't happen because it wasn't his time to die. But now it was time for him to die. As we move into Mark chapter 14, now it is time for Jesus to die. That's what this entire 14th chapter is about. Mark tells us about all the events leading up to the death of Jesus. He tells us about the plot of the leaders, the Jewish leaders. He tells us about the anointing by Mary for burial. He tells us about the agreement of Judas to betray Jesus. He tells us about the final Passover with the disciples. He tells us about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells us about our Lord's arrest in the garden. He tells us about the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme Court. All of these events lead up to the pinnacle of Mark's gospel, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus in chapters 15 and 16. So as we move this morning into this 14th chapter Mark is leading us on a journey to the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The consummate events in all of human history. Notice how this section of his gospel begins. Mark tells us in chapter 14, verse 1, Now after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery, how they might take him by deception, and put him to death. So shortly after Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse in chapter 13, and maybe maybe it was immediately afterward, he knew he had to begin preparing his disciples for what was coming in just a couple days. He had just told them in chapter 13 about his coming in power and great glory to establish the kingdom. And it it is almost certain that they assumed that was right around the corner. They were excited. They still didn't understand that he was going to die. That was going to be devastating to them. It was going to be paralyzing. So Jesus tried to prepare them. Jesus knew this plot was taking place. The plot that Mark describes here in verse 1. According to Matthew 26, verse 2, Jesus says, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. I cannot imagine how that hit the disciples. They had just been on an emotional mountaintop as Jesus talked about his coming in power and glory to establish the kingdom. And now, here, he is talking about being delivered up to be crucified. And he said it was right around the corner. Passover was only two days away. The the disciples had no idea that something this devastating was coming. They knew Passover was coming because... Being Jewish, that was one of their greatest holidays. Maybe their greatest. Maybe sort of like our Christmas. Sort of the highest, the the most festive holiday in the Jewish calendar. They knew that was coming. It is possible that they even thought that Jesus would step forward in power and great glory to establish the kingdom on that holiday. What a better time than that. What could be better than to to step forward on Passover? Passover to inaugurate the kingdom. After all, just a few days earlier, they had seen the multitudes waving palm branches and shouting the praises of Jesus on Palm Sunday. The city of Jerusalem had been at a fever pitch. Then, coming off of that, they had heard Jesus talk about coming in power and great glory to establish the kingdom. So, it would not be surprising if they thought that was going to happen in just a couple days. But that wasn't what was going to happen in a couple of days. Jesus was not going to be crowned and enthroned, he was going to be crucified. This just did not compute with the disciples, it made no sense. They could not grab hold of that reality, which is why Jesus told them again, as he had done several times before. Let me show you a couple times. Go back to chapter 8 of Mark's gospel. Chapter 8, verse 31. Mark tells us, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. I am confident that Peter and the other disciples did not hear that last phrase. They did not hear Jesus say he would be raised from the dead. Their minds shut off when they heard him say he was going to suffer many things... And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. They went numb at that point. They could not comprehend or fathom what Jesus was teaching them. It did not compute at all. It blew their minds. They had just, here in chapter 8, they had just come through the mountaintop experience of Peter's great confession and the affirmation of Jesus as recorded in verses 27 through 30. They had heard Jesus tell Peter that the Father in heaven had revealed that glorious truth to him. They had heard Jesus say that he was going to build his church and that Peter would be given the keys to the kingdom. And the next thing they know, Jesus is talking about rejection and humiliation, and execution. I wouldn't be surprised if their vision went black. This was an impossible thought. Utterly unthinkable. So Peter stepped forward again in verse 32. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. When we first read this, it sounds outrageous to us. The nerve of Peter to rebuke the Lord. What does he think he is doing? Though it is by no means excusable, it is somewhat understandable when you begin to realize Peter's mindset. It was all very clear to Peter. If Jesus was the Messiah, as had just been affirmed, then there's no doubt about what is the next event on the schedule. The next item of business is the kingdom. But Jesus said the next item of business is rejection and humiliation and execution. So Peter decided to straighten him out, if you can imagine it. Peter says, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter probably thought he was being real macho at this point. He wasn't about to let that kind of thing happen to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus was later arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter tried to stop the whole ordeal by cutting off a man's ear. And you can bet he wasn't aiming for the ear. Peter was going to do whatever was necessary to stop Jesus from being rejected, humiliated, and crucified. But what Peter didn't realize was that if he resisted all of that from happening, if he could have prevented that from happening, which he couldn't, but if he had, he would be resisting the very will of God. Jesus is about to tell him that in no uncertain terms. Verse 33. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. Whoa. How do you think that hit Peter and the rest of the disciples? On this occasion, according to Matthew's account, Jesus called Peter blessed earlier in the story. And here in this verse, Peter is called Satan. Satan. Wow. He could not have been more right in verse 29 when Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, and he couldn't have been more wrong in verse 32. Jesus came to die to pay for the sins of the world. That was also part of the plan of God as revealed in Hebrew scripture. But the disciples had completely missed that point. They didn't see that he had to die, as Isaiah 53 had predicted, as well as many other passages. So Jesus sternly rebuked Peter for not being mindful of the things of God. Then look at chapter 9, the very next chapter. It happens again. Not the exact same details, but verse 30 tells us. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee... And he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples. In other words, he doesn't want the word out he's, in, he's around because the multitudes will, will just throng him. And he needs some time with his, his disciples to try to prepare them for his death. It says he didn't want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Because they didn't understand, it seems that they simply pushed the whole thing out of their minds and decided not to ask about it. And again, I personally believe I personally believe that they didn't even hear the second part of Jesus' statement when he mentioned the resurrection. When Jesus said he would be killed, I think their minds completely shut off as almost some sort of self-defense mechanism. They could not bear that thought. Their world collapsed when they heard Jesus say that men would kill him. Their world was shattered at that point. All of their hopes and dreams and longings and aspirations were bound up in this man. So they could not accept the fact that he was going to die. They didn't understand it because it made no sense to them. And because this didn't stick with the disciples, even though Jesus tried in chapter 8 to tell them, and he tried in chapter 9 to tell them, and those passages say he told them this repeatedly. But because it didn't stick, and because they didn't get it, Jesus said it again just two days before the Passover. Just two days before it would happen. Now back to chapter 14. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by deception and put him to death. When Mark mentions here in verse 1 the chief priests and the scribes, you probably know that these were the bigwigs of Jewish society. These were the leaders politically and spiritually since the two were bound together in the governmental structure of Israel. They didn't have the separation of church and state, and so political leaders were spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders were political leaders. It was all bound up together. Rome ruled the world at this time, but Rome often worked through the established leadership of the people they conquered. They often left those leaders in place as, as long as they would toe the line, you know, as long as they would go along with things, So these were the Jewish leaders left in place by Rome on the local level. Jesus was especially repugnant to them and made life difficult for them. So they decided, they had long ago decided, that he had to go. One way or another, he had to go. According to Matthew 26, they all met together at the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest who would have really been angry at Jesus for cleansing the temple a few days earlier since he profited greatly from all the merchandising that was taking place in the temple. So Caiaphas, the high priest, hosts this meeting of the scribes and the Pharisees, the the chief priests, all of the, the, the upper echelon of leaders in Israel. Caiaphas hosts them in his house for this secret meeting. This group wanted Jesus dead, and preferably by crucifixion. They may have been able to get away with stoning him, and that is the way that the Jews carried out capital punishment, by stoning. But Rome didn't really allow them to do that. Now, occasionally when they would do it, Rome would turn a blind eye and just say, well, that's their local problems, we're not going to step in. But technically, they weren't allowed to carry out any capital punishment, if they did it was by stoning but rome frowned on that so they they have this meeting and they know that they may have been able to get away with stoning jesus but they knew that they would be taking the chance of getting in trouble with rome or maybe getting in trouble with the multitudes who admired jesus many of these people were in jerusalem for the passover The Jews were there because they were there to celebrate Passover. The Romans were there to keep the peace because they knew that during the Passover there were often riots and all of that. So a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Romans were in Jerusalem. Therefore, the leaders wanted to come up with a plan to get Jesus killed by the Romans. The Romans didn't practice stoning. They practiced crucifixion as their method of execution or capital punishment. And that's what these Jewish leaders wanted to be able to force to happen to Jesus. They wanted to force the Romans into doing it so they could, in their self-righteousness, stand back and say, we didn't do it. We didn't stone him. We didn't kill him. The Romans did it. So they talked and they plotted and they schemed about how they could pull it off. And verse 2 tells us, they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. This is an amazing statement when you stop to think about it. The religious leaders of Israel are determined to kill Jesus. But they don't want to do it during the Passover holiday so there won't be a riot. Because you see, if there was a riot... Rome would come down on them hard, give them less freedom, maybe take away some of their positions of leadership. They knew there were scores of people in Jerusalem for Passover, and many of these people considered Jesus to be a prophet or a good man, a good teacher, a good rabbi. They admired him in some way. As a result, these leaders knew that they could run the risk of causing a riot if they acted on their plot during the holiday. So as they were scheming and plotting, they decided, okay, we're going to try to pull this off. We're going to force it, but we're going to wait until after Passover. Let's let things settle down. They thought they could control the timing of their evil plan, but they didn't have as much control as they thought they had. They weren't really the ones who were in control. God was the one who was really in control. And God had determined that his son Jesus would be killed at Passover, not afterwards like the leaders were trying to control by manipulation. So Jesus would be murdered by them, but it would not be on their timing. It would actually be on his timing. Jesus was killed by them, But it happened even sooner than they planned because he made sure that it happened at Passover. Now, think about this, beloved. This is a fascinating thought. Earlier, and we looked at all those passages Luke, John earlier in the ministry of Jesus, when these people wanted to kill Jesus, they could not. Now, when they want to postpone killing him, they cannot. Do you get that? Earlier, when they wanted to kill him, they couldn't. Now they don't want to kill him yet, but they can't control that. The death of Jesus was on God's timing, not theirs. Thousands and thousands of lambs were sacrificed during the Passover holiday, and God chose that time to offer his lamb. That is why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Indeed, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Jesus was God's Passover lamb to pay for your sin and for my sin. A few days prior to all of this, it was the custom in Israel for families to choose their lamb. And you remember the specifications that God gave? He said it had to be an unblemished lamb, a precious lamb. Bring it into your house, love it, get attached to it, and then you have to kill it. And some people say, oh, how cruel of God to give those types of stipulations. No, God was trying to illustrate what was involved in him offering his lamb. No family ever loved a lamb like God loved his son. Not even close So for a family to take a lamb in, a spotless lamb, a precious lamb, and get attached to it and then kill it pales in comparison to God giving his precious, innocent, flawless, perfect son. So these families in Israel just a few days prior to this, in the midst of all of this, had chosen their lamb to slaughter that had to be slaughtered at Passover, and God chose his lamb. And God's lamb was going to be killed at the same time all the other lambs were killed, not later, like the Jewish leaders wanted. It was going to happen then. Because Jesus is God's Passover lamb to pay for your sin and mine. Have you received the Passover lamb for your sin? He's the only solution to our sin problem. Would you please bow your head with me as we close this morning? And as you bow your head and maybe even close your eyes so you're not distracted by any movement going on around you. You have seen this morning from Scripture that it was God's plan for Jesus to die. The death of Jesus was not an accident. It was not. It was all controlled by the sovereign plan of God and the sovereign power of Jesus himself. Now, that doesn't do away with the responsibility and accountability on those who carried it out. They're still responsible for their actions. But this is not chaos. This is plan. This is God's ordained plan for Jesus to die as our Passover lamb to pay for our sin. And God did it this way because it's the only way you and I could have our sins addressed and forgiven and cleansed. So again, I ask you, have you received God's Passover lamb for your sin? Have you received Jesus Christ, the benefits of his death, applied to your spiritual record, your spiritual bank account? to deal with your sin. If you try to earn your salvation yourself by being good, by being religious, you will fall infinitely short. The only solution is God's solution, his precious beloved son. Father, we marvel as we look at this story this morning and to see how many times Various groups within Israel tried to kill Jesus but could not because it wasn't your timing. And then to see right here at the end them wanting to kill Jesus and planning to kill Jesus but wanting to wait until later and they could not. Because you were the one in control. And Jesus, your precious beloved son, died exactly when you determined it was the right time for him to die. It gives us great encouragement to see things from your perspective. And we know that from your perspective, the only way we can be right with you is through your precious son, Jesus. We can't earn that. We can't in any way do anything to achieve a right standing with you. But we can humbly in simple childlike faith, receive your solution, your Passover lamb. And Father, I pray for every single one of us in this room that that would be true of us, that we have responded to your plan of salvation by receiving your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.